Nehemiah chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 32 here in just a, a few seconds. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 32. But I want to ask, I want to do a little survey. How many of you in the past have bought a refurbished computer, refurbished phone, or refurbished kitchen appliance? You've bought something that was refurbished. Would you raise your hand? All right, about half of us. Now, why, why is something refurbished? And I want you to talk to me. I want you to help me out here. Why, why, is something, why does something have to be refurbished? It wore out. There's a defect. Uh, basically, it's not functioning as it was designed to function. Sometimes it's a manufacturer's defect. That's probably most of the time the, the, the reason. It's sent back to the manufacturer. It is repaired, uh, service cleaned. Oftentimes then they'll provide a, a new warranty for that item and then sent out again and, and, and resold to perform as it was originally designed. So that's why things are refurbished. And I see in a similar way uh, that the nation of Israel was like this. God chose the nation of Israel for what reason? You can do it in your own, say it in your own words, but why do you think God chose the nation of Israel? Did you just think Abraham was a cool guy and thought, hey, let's start a nation from you know, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph? What was his purpose of having the nation of Israel be his chosen people. To show himself to the world. Now, as we've learned, not only in Nehemiah, but also in our 30 Days to Understanding the Bible uh, series, was Israel always faithful to do that? Just always, you know, top-notch, representing God to the world. Yes or no? Absolutely not. So there was a time where Israel was not again. They weren't, you know, reflecting God to the world. Um, and God then used, in essence, kind of had to refurbish them, had to bring them back and use his prophets to remind them, this is your design, this is what you were made for. Uh, spent, uh, then used 70 years of exile uh, to repair them spiritually and to reset, in a way, their spiritual compass. And then after 70 years of exile, began to bring them back and, uh, in really miraculous ways using secular kings to authorize and even fund the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the walls. Uh, but once again, Israel begins to represent God as they were designed to do to the rest of the world. So let's pick up in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 32. Forward by faith through confession and commitment, we see... Uh, certainly there's a, a, they have a reverence for God and His Word. Notice verse 32. Now therefore, and what do they call God? Who's God? Our God. Now therefore, our God. This isn't just one of the gods. This isn't just, you know, maybe one of the, what they think might be one of the more powerful gods. No, they said, now therefore, our God. And then notice all the, the terms that are used. The great, the mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Now, while, since you're in Nehemiah, go back with me to Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 9. And verse 1. We'll read, read verses 1 through 3 of Nehemiah 9. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood 
and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. They've been reminded. God is, has used prophets and, and others like Zerubbabel to remind them, this is your purpose. This is what you were designed to do. And so they have, they're showing here a deeper understanding of God. You may recall a few weeks ago, as the, the, the history of the nation of Israel has been recounted throughout Nehemiah chapter 9, many of the Israelites, especially as they were coming out of Egypt, the Exodus, they had a distorted view of God. In fact, when they would come up on difficulty, sometimes they would even say, why would God do this? Why would God bring us out of Egypt and bring us to this place so that our children you know, would die of thirst and die of hunger and so that we would die here in the wilderness? Why would God do such a thing? And why do they ask those things? Because they had a distorted view of God. But here, their view has been realigned. They have a deeper understanding of God and they, they call him our God. The great God, the mighty God, the awesome God, a covenant-keeping God. In verse 32, it says, who keeps covenant, a God of steadfast love. That's one reason why it even says, you know, now therefore. Because they, they, he, they have just rehearsed all of the faithfulness of God. And so they're, they're able to say, yes, a God of steadfast love, a righteous God. Verse 33 again says, you have been righteous. A faithful God. You've, you've dealt faithfully, verse 33, as well. So we look back, um, even verse 32, we left off kind of in the middle. Who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since at the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully. We have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. We see then that so many titles where they are understanding. Okay, we have a lot better understanding of who our God is. But as we read even further... Notice with me verse 35. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness, we serve a good God that you gave them. And then then notice, and in the large and rich land that you set before them. That shows the power of God. They serve a, and we serve a powerful God. But yet, as they recall the rebellion of, uh, you know, other Israelites before them, it says they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. As we think about that phrase, that in the large and rich land that you set before them, it reminds us of the powerful God that, that we all serve. Think about this. We, you know, as we live here in America, oftentimes we, there, there's a sense of pride and maybe a sense of security in the advanced technological military force that we have. And we think, you know, we're, we're a pretty powerful country. But yet, even in my lifetime, our nation's influence, as powerful as our military is, and uh, as, as phenomenal of military servicemen and women that we have, even because of all that, or even through all that, our, our influence has still been challenged 
by several groups in my lifetime, um, Al-Qaeda, uh, the Taliban, uh, ISIS, China, Russia. And so it shows, you know, United States of America, you may think that, you know, you're, you're so powerful, but there are limitations to, to even this nation's power, even with all the advances that we have in technology. But yet God, we see here in Nehemiah, he set before them a rich and full land. Remember the description uh, a land where the houses were full of good things. The vineyards, the orchards were already full of fruit, fruit trees. Shows the power of our God. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10 says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. <clears throat> Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying... My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. We're in election season. We're beginning to hear already, we've, we've received at our home, and probably you have as well, many flyers. A lot of those flyers have the promises uh, you know, that these candidates are making, or they, they you know, recount what they've already done. But yet the promises that are made, so many of them unfortunately will not come to pass, but that never happens with the promises of God. In Isaiah, uh, as the prophet, he can say and relate what God's message is, my counsel will stand firm. This will happen. It says, I will accomplish all my purpose. We notice in Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing he frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. So we're reminded several times throughout the Old Testament and then through the New Testament of God's power, of his sovereignty, of, of how when he plans something and he orchestrates something, it is going to happen. Think with me of Job. Job perhaps was one of the first books to be written in the Bible. We, some of you may be familiar that Job was considered to be a righteous man, a God-fearing man, greatly blessed of the Lord, but then the Lord allowed, allowed him to be tested. And after much testing, after much loss, after much confusion, God then answers and reveals a little bit more to Job his phenomenal power. In fact, in about 52 consecutive verses throughout Job 40 and Job 41. God asks question after question after question. says, Job, can you do this? Job, can you do this? Can you control you know, this, this animal? Can you control this, the, the, uh, the rain? Can you control the oceans? Can you set a limit for the, for the water not to come past that? Can you do this and this and this? And Job's just listening. And then Job responds in chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, the following. He says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Basically saying, no purpose of yours can be stopped. God, I understand now you are unstoppable. And he continues on in Job 42 verse 3. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful me wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. And what? What does Job do in response? Repents. 
And this is what the nation of Israel is doing as well, as they recount God's faithfulness again and again and again, and God's power and how he's an awesome God and a mighty God. In all of these things, then they are confessing and they're repenting of their unfaithfulness and their wickedness before him. They have a deeper understanding of God. We also see here in Nehemiah chapter 9 a deeper understanding for God's word. Deeper understanding for God's word. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 34. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law. You know, God's guidelines are worth following. They've come out of 70 years of exile. And it's very obvious that that the, the mistakes of the past, the rebellion of the past, has not worked well for the nation of Israel. And may it be a reminder to us that the same is true today as God has given us his, his good statutes, His good guidelines, His good rules. And that's a blessing that we, if we live by those, that we can experience really God's fullness in life. God's commandments and guidelines are worth following. We also see in chapter 9, verse 34, the next part, God's commandments and warnings are worth our attention. We need to listen up. We need to pay attention. Nehemiah 9, 34, again, the first part I'll read again. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law. Listen, or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Can anybody think of a warning that you saw this past week or past couple weeks? Some type of of warning. It could have been a roadside. It could be you know somewhere else. It could have been at your, at your factory you work out, but some type of warning. Anybody? A weather warning? Yeah, that's that's a big one. Um, and unfortunately, there's you know in some cities where people were encouraged to evacuate, some did not heed those warnings, and for some, it even led to death. What else? Electrical shock. So you don't want to throw your hair dryer you know, into your bathtub and then jump in at the same time. Uh, that's, that's not a good thing. What are some other uh, warnings maybe you've seen? Road construction. Oh, man, road construction. I need to speed up then and just you know, plow through. Yellow light. Does that mean speed up and go through, like try to get through, right? Uh, no, it's a warning. Slow down. Stop if you can. That's uh, all the way back to driver's ed school. You know, I enjoy swimming, but there's some places where I've been where it says no diving, shallow water. Uh, we were in Florida not uh, a couple years ago in, in Kissimmee, and we went to a, a, you know, a body of water there, and it says no swimming alligators, I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't think I want to. And we actually saw some alligators right near the shore. I was like, no, I, I do not want to swim in that body of water. Our kids uh, swam in a body of water in Brazil um, several years in a row where we had a, a, a missionary retreat. Come to find out, it, was, it, it had piranhas. And actually, somebody caught a piranha. You know? And so after that, we began to think again, is this really a good idea for our kids to jump in? You know? And some of the, uh, of the people around us, well, just make sure you're not bleeding. Oh, okay. <laughs> That makes me feel good. So we, there's warnings that we, that we see and we certainly understand. We need to abide by that. Um, hot surface, don't touch. You know, sharp curve, 25 miles an hour. Road closed, you know, detour. So these, these construction things. 
How about if we were to say, you know what? I'll dive if I want to. You can't tell me not to dive. I'll dive if I want to. Okay. Well, um, hope you enjoy being seriously injured or maybe even paralyzed. You know, I'll swim with I want to, all right? Have fun with the alligators. I'll go as fast around that curve as I want to. Okay, well, we'll see you at the bottom of the hill. Um, or maybe at your funeral. But what do you mean detour? You know, I'll take the route I want to take. Well, I hope everything works out for you. So there's some things in life where as much as we want to say, hey, I'm my own boss, and I, we understand there's some limitations and there's some rules and guidelines and warnings that are for our good. And the nation of Israel is saying, listen, they, we did not pay attention to your warnings. And they're worth being paid attention to. That's why whether you open a, a paper version of the Bible like this or you turn on your Bible on your phone or laptop or iPad, it's worth paying attention to this. It's worth spending time and learning not only the warnings that we see in Scripture, but learning about our mighty God and our powerful God. And that's who we serve. And we can trust him more to understand he loves us so much that the warnings and the commandments and the rules that he gives us are for our good. And Israel says, hey, we didn't do that. You were faithful. Now we have a deeper understanding of the type of God that you are. We have a deep understanding for your word, your commandments, your statutes, your guidelines. We also see that they have an increased awareness and repentance of sin. An increased awareness and repentance of sin. Back to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 32. They recognized and respected God's discipline. Nehemiah 9, 32, in the latter part of that, uh, kind of, Part B, it says, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us. There are consequences to sin. They may not be immediate. Uh, They may be delayed. Even for believers, God may withhold some of those consequences for a while. But yet, if left unrepented, there are certainly consequences of sin in these Israelites are beginning to say, you know, we, we notice the hardship around us. We're understanding some of these consequences of sin. And it goes on, it says, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people. Notice, since the time of the kings of Assyria, so Assyrian captivity, you may remember from our 30 Days Understanding the Bible study, that Assyria uh, uh, held captive or, or brought the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, into captivity. So since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day, which would be Babylonian captivity and then into Persian rule already. So we're seeing all this hardship, God, from the times of the kings of Assyria until this day. But then verse 33, yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. So they don't begin to say, God, you know, would you stop already? God, why have you allowed all this? No, they understand. We understand the consequences of our sin, and you've been righteous in allowing that. And you've been righteous in your discipline of our sin. Then jump to verse 36. <clears throat> Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. 
So although they've come back to Jerusalem, although the temple has been rebuilt, although the walls are still around them, they still understand they, they don't have all the freedom that they should have that God originally designed for their nation. And they're saying, we, we see that. We're, we're living out some of the consequences of our sin. And then verse 37, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us. Why? Because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. More consequences for their sins. I want to encourage you, as, as God disciplines us, Hebrews says that God disciplines those whom he loves. And as God disciplines us, may we respond in wisdom, may we respond with a humble spirit and not as a fool. Proverbs is full of contrast of how a foolish person responds to, to instruction and correction and how a wise person responds. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. I remember clearly, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting older, but I still can remember going up sometimes where I was weary of my parents' reproof. I was weary of the coach pointing out things. Hey, well, you didn't do this. Well, why are you holding the football that way? That's an easy way to have a fumble. You need to do this. Well, why did you stiff arm the guy that way? Okay, all right, coach. But we see here, listen, a, a wise person listens to reproof. Many times, even as we reprove our children, sometimes we'll hear, oh, or what? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Say that again, sir, ma'am. Why? Because they begin to get weary of our reproof. Hey, you left this here. What about this? You're supposed to wipe off the counter. You didn't do that. And sometimes it gets to a point where we're like, oh, and we don't, aren't we that way as Christians? Pastor, okay, that's enough. Maybe we even open God's room like, okay, yeah, it's, it's just tough. It's hard. I'm weary. But they recognized and they respected God's discipline. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. We try to remind our children, especially in, in more serious matters of reproof, we try to remind them God was very gracious to allow this to come to light. I know being disciplined is not fun, and I don't enjoy it either, but God was really showing his love to you in that he allowed us or another authority to discover the sin, this whatever, whatever happened. God is showing his love to you, and he does to us. As adults, we're probably not going to get a time out. As adults, we're probably not going to be suspended from school. But God will show his discipline to us, and may we receive that and say, God, thank you. I humbly submit, and I want to run back to your word, which James calls the mirror, the perfect law of liberty, freedom in God's guidelines. And help me, God, to realign. Help me to reset my spiritual compass to follow you once again. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, obviously a New Testament verse passage here. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Well, it's going to encourage me. It does. Well, it's going to give me some practical you know, wisdom. 
it does that too, but it's, it does much more than that. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul's reminding Timothy, listen, these are some good things. And through the letter to Timothy, then all of us as believers to this day, we can be reminded these are good things. Even God's discipline we should welcome with thankfulness. They recognize the respect of God's discipline, but they also repented of their rebellion against God. Nehemiah 9.33, the latter part of the verse, they rebelled against God in spite of his faithfulness. It says, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. It wasn't like God was, was frustrating them by doing one thing or saying one thing and then doing another or not fulfilling his promises. No, again and again and again, God showed his faithfulness and phenomenal power, but yet they recognized, but yet we acted wickedly. They rebelled against God in spite of his goodness. Once again, in verse 35, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Now, this passage is not primarily, uh, I don't think the primary purpose of this passage is parenting principles, but I want to throw in a bonus principle here that I, I think there's an application. Sometimes we as parents get the idea, and I think a lot of this comes from, from secular culture, is if we do enough good things for our kids, and if we provide enough material things for our kids, then it's going to motivate them to, do, you know, to be good kids and to kind of follow our lead and, and just kind of be good people and to grow up to be you know, pretty decent citizens. But yet the Bible shows us that's not true. Because our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so God the Father, yes, he blessed with so many good things, but he also coupled that with discipline and correction when necessary. And parents, we have to do the same thing. There's nothing wrong with blessing our kids with good things, but it's never enough to motivate them to do good just by being blessed and having material things and nice things. We have to commit to also discipline and correct and shepherd and guide day by day, just as our Heavenly Father does to me as His child and does to you as His child. Lastly, we see here in Nehemiah chapter 9 and then going into, into chapter 10, a commitment to follow God. A commitment to follow God. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 38. Because of all this, I like that phrase, to wrap it up, to reflect, to, in summary, because of God's uh, phenomenal faithfulness, because of all this, something's going to happen. And it says, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. It's an all-inclusive commitment. This wasn't just for the main leaders. It wasn't just for Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites and, and some of the priests. It wasn't just for, you know, kind of a call to those of you who, you know, have a, have a tendency to be more spiritually minded. Why don't you kind of uh, sign on to this covenant commitment? No, it was all inclusive. And I want you, as you have your Bibles open or, or on your phones, we're going to jump through the first parts of chapter 10. And I want to point out a few things. The first, 
verse uh, for sure, Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, on the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor. <clears throat> so Nehemiah starts you know, off with, hey, I'm, I'm there. I'm signing this. I am committing to this. In verse 9, it starts off, Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, and the Levites. Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 14, it says, the chiefs of the people. And then notice with me, Nehemiah uh, chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. A lot of names have already been, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of names have already been mentioned. But yeah, Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 28 and 29 is a summary, kind of like, okay, if anybody's forgotten, we're going to summarize it all again. And this is an all-inclusive commitment. Notice with me verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters. And then I, I think this phrase is interesting. All who have knowledge and understanding. In essence, I mean, if we forgot anybody, then, then anybody else who has knowledge and understanding, yeah, they're, they're in the group. And then verse 29, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath. This wasn't a nonchalant commitment. This was, we understand the seriousness because of God's phenomenal faithfulness and his love and his design for, for us as God's followers. Because of all that, then we are coming into a firm covenant and commitment with our God. And that leads us to the next part, a far-reaching commitment. The end of verse 29, Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 29 says, Join with their brothers or nobles and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. That's kind of the, the, the overarching Guideline, But notice then we're going to see throughout the rest of chapter 10 how some of this is lived out. Notice even verse 30. Nehemiah 10 and verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land to take their daughters for our sons. This far-reaching commitment affected the relationships that they pursued. And they, they knew full well, listen, if we're not careful in relationships with others, this will affect our relationship with God, Jehovah. The same is so true today. Now, we are to be salt and light. We're to have connections with those who are unbelievers, those who don't follow Christ, for the sake of the gospel. Yet we're not to conform to the world. We're not to just begin acting like unbelievers and those who don't follow Christ in hopes that maybe as we occasionally mention Jesus and, and maybe do some good things, that they'll just be attracted to this uh, sort of halfway committal you know, following of Christ. No. The far-reaching commitment goes all the way into our relationships. What about convenience? Notice Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 31, the latter part of verse 31. We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. This was going to affect their lifestyle. 
as part of God's law, as part of his commandments, and as part of the nation of Israel being different than the other nations, he had them set aside the Sabbath, the seventh day, unto him. And so here they're saying, okay, we're, we're going to commit to that once again. And if people from the lands around us and the peoples around us come to Jerusalem and come to our cities to sell things, we're, we're going to abstain. We're not going to buy those things on the Sabbath because we want to honor God's commandment. We also see Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 34. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering. Now, when I first read over this, I didn't quite grasp some of the understanding or some of the significance of why this was included. Like, okay, you know, you cast lots to decide who's going to come and give wood as an offering. Here, I've got five pieces of wood. You know, no, I, I don't, it seems like it's more than that. We, the priests, the Levites, and the peoples have likewise cast lots for the wood offering. Notice, to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. As, as burnt offerings, as sacrifices, animal sacrifices that look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, John the Baptist says, who would take away the sins of the world, all of those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament time required fire. So there was a lot of firewood that had to be provided. And so even as part of this far-reaching commitment, there were people who were assigned to gather the firewood and bring it to the temple so that these offerings could happen. I think this is really neat. That even what seems to us as maybe a menial task of gathering up some firewood and bringing it to the temple, that's part of a commitment to God Jehovah. And those, I mean, there, there are so many applications of that even in our life. There's, there's a lot of things that if we stop and think, you know, well, how spiritual is that? You know, how spiritual is it setting up all these chairs? And how spiritual is it setting up these things and then sweeping and taking the trash out? How spiritual are those things? Well, it's part of our far-reaching commitment. How spiritual it is for a mom to cook or, or a dad, depending on who has that talent and ability in your, in your family, to cook the meals for your family. Boy, you know, I, it's very spiritual. You're using what God has given you to, to serve your family for God's glory. So we see even carrying firewood, this was a matter of convenience, but yet they said, no, we're going to commit. And this is for God, Jehovah. We see even in the area of finances. Notice Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 31. Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 31, the latter part of the verse, says, And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Mm, now you're talking about my money. You know, maybe some of the people of Israel initially were like, We're going to go back to that again? We're going to start practicing that where we have to forgive debts every seven years? They're like, Yes. Remember, everybody, all the people. Wives, children, daughters, chiefs, priests, you know, uh, Nehemiah, and everybody who has knowledge and understanding, we are committing to this, that, yeah, we're going to honor that. Every seven years, we're not going to exact, we're not going to require that those debts be paid. It's going to hurt our finances. Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 32 through 33, I'm just going to say a couple of the, the phrases, but it says, 
to give. And then a little bit later it says, for the service of the house of our God. Then verse 33, for all the work of the house of our God. The nation of Israel is understanding, listen, to keep this up and to keep the temple up and to provide for the Levites and to provide for the priests, it's going to require that we give back to the Lord some of the things that he has given to us. Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 35. Nehemiah 10 and verse 35, it talks about bringing the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord. Verse 36, it says, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle. 37, it even talks about the first of our dough. That's interesting. We're going to make a lot of bread. Okay, set aside, set aside a tenth. You know, set aside some of the dough. Well, it's a constant reminder. It's kind of hard to forget. You know, this is part of our commitment that even even in that, they're setting aside and taking it for the, the provision for the Levites and the priests. The first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine, and the oil. Now, the firstborn, unless you wonder, the firstborn weren't left at the temple. You know, they didn't become like temple slaves. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, Johnny, you're the firstborn, so, you know, here you go. We're just going to drop you off. At one month old, we see in Numbers chapter 18, at one month old, they were to be taken and then in in honor or as part of a reminder of God has opened the womb, God has blessed us with this child, then an offering will be given. I think here, let's see, I think it was five shekels, five shekels of silver was the offering. You see that in Numbers 18. So five shekels of silver, or in essence, 55 grams of silver was given uh, in in. Redemption to redeem that firstborn, not redeem spiritually, but be, instead of giving the firstborn as an offering, leaving the child, I'm giving this, these 55 grams of silver in place. You know, and even today, if for Katrina and Austin, for example, if today happens to be the day that Cruz comes into the world, at some point, we're going to have a special time of prayer for Cruz. That prayer will not save Cruz. And primarily that that prayer will be to thank God for new life that God has given to their family. But also as a reminder to Austin and Katrina, this is a phenomenal gift that God has given you to raise crews in the ways of the Lord. And it goes all the way back to the idea in the Old Testament of bring the firstborn. God has opened the womb. This is a gift. It's not something that we have a right to. This is God's gift. And we, even with our firstborn, we want to show that it belongs to the Lord. Don't all of our children, right, belong to the Lord? Parents and grandparents, that's difficult to live sometimes. Remember as Kim and I were praying about worldwide missions and we were looking at different places and praying about different countries and, and kind of jokingly, kind of serious, Kim's mom came to me. Jessica was the first grandchild in the family and Kim's mom came to me and she says, you know, David... Doesn't the West, Western part of the United States, need churches? Couldn't you just maybe go to the West? I was like, well, Mom, God hasn't called us to. Yes, the West needs churches, but God hasn't called us to the West at this point in our life. Oh, okay. There's sacrifices. There's some things that that come about where we have to remind ourselves that we need to give our children back to the Lord. You know, while searching out a... So we go back kind of 
the idea of the illustration that I opened with is we search out a new device. Maybe it's in a watch, an appliance, something similar. We often will pay close attention to the features. You know, what, what will this thing do? What are all the features? What are the specifications? How should I expect for this device, for this item to perform? What's the design? And hopefully as we've looked all the way through Nehemiah up to this point, and then certainly Nehemiah, the latter part of chapter 9 and end of chapter 10, to be reminded, we're designed to have a far-reaching commitment to God that affects our relationships. It affects uh, our finances. It affects our convenience. It's not always convenient to serve the Lord. It's not always convenient to stand up for what's right. Your school, your job. 2 Corinthians 3.18 makes it very clear what our design is to be as Christians. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God's design is for us to be transformed and changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Part of that is that we would live in such a way, Ephesians 1.12 says, that our life would bring praise to the glory of God. Another part of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-20 through, through 20, reminds us that every single Christian has been given the ministry of reconciliation. You, you and I have been given a message, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can share with anyone that God puts in our path and says, God has given his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, paid the penalty of your sins, and if you believe in him, you can be redeemed by Jesus Christ, the Savior. That's our design. So my question is, are you fulfilling that design? At the bottom of your your handout, there's some questions there, and I I, I encourage you and I challenge you to, to contemplate that. Who did God make you to become, and and are you fulfilling that, and do you need to reset, in a way, your spiritual compass? Maybe in some areas of your life, I'd encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray this morning.